Hey everyone, welcome to Superwomen. I am so excited for today's guest. She is a dear friend and I wish I could see her every day, but this will do for now. I'm so excited to welcome Daphne Oz to the podcast today. She is an author, she is a host, she is a podcast as well, and mother of four, beautiful creature inside and out. Welcome. Thank you. (laughs) And ditto on all of the above, by the way. I wish we could hang out every day. I know. All right, let's dive in. You came on my radar because Eden introduced us and I knew you as a chef and as an author. So I would love to start with when did you know that you loved food and cooking and entertaining and that it became sort of what you started out career-wise doing? When did I know I loved food? Probably (laughs) my earliest memories. I, you know, I'm the oldest of four, but not to bore you with like the ins and outs of my family details. My mom had me when she was 22. My dad was in medical school. So he was working, you know, 80 hour shifts, something crazy. And my mom would drive me pretty much every day from our home in New Jersey to where her parents live just outside Philadelphia. So in many ways, I was kind of raised like the seventh child of my grandparents. And I tell you all this because it will hopefully illuminate why I like can only cook for huge crowds. And there are always tons of family around. And um, and cooking for that family was how my grandmother, how my mother showed love and community and where, you know, the kitchen was where they traded stories and ideas. And it was just the happiest place I could ever envision getting to be. And then as I got older, as the oldest child, I was often the one helping my mom get dinner ready and put it on the table. And it was um, such an incredible bonding time for us. Maybe some older siblings in the in the audience can relate to this, but having to share my mom with the siblings that came after me, I was like, mm, this is not I was an only child for almost five years. That was my time, you know? And so um, getting to be in the kitchen with her was a really nice standing for that. And in any case, I learned I learned how to be an intuitive cook from both of them. Like my mom is just, I, we call her the spice master and she's the condiment queen. She just understands intuitively and implicitly how to build and boost flavors. And she went vegetarian when she was 13. My grandmother took their whole family vegetarian in the 70s, long before it was chic and cool to do that or you know where there, there weren't like a lot of ready-made products available for that so she really had to do it all herself and so my mom really shared that idea with me that you could make healthful food and a variety of cuisines really accessible and really delicious and um so that was sort of the foundation for me was just this the kitchen should be a place you feel super confident and um it is your first medicine the food that you put into your mouth i think right now with the world feeling in some ways out of control. One of the only things we really do control is what happens in our kitchen and what goes in our mouths. And, um, you know, I, I think people who are familiar with the way that I cook know that like, I'm a food lover. I absolutely uh, get me talking about like farmer's markets and trips that I've taken just to eat. And, and you'll never shut me up. Like I, I live for that. And now that being said, you might think that I've like always made good eating choices and always been in control of my health. And that was not the case. I was, uh, as you know, Becky, I was an o- really overweight kid and, you know, the overweight kid in a family full of health nuts to boot. So it wasn't until I got to college that I realized I had all the information at my disposal, but don't we all, like we all have the internet, we all have any possible inf- you know, insight and information we could need, but sometimes you need emotion to ground that insight and to make it real and to make it something you can actually use in your own life. And it was when I got to college that I saw I could use and harness this freedom 
to my benefit and to take control of my health and to love my food without letting that love control me and without needing to overindulge in food, even healthy foods, in order to feel like I was able to bond. And so, you know, I figured out a really healthful, balanced eating approach that let me live my full college experience, keggers, pizza parties, late nights, et cetera, but really take back control of my health and lose the 40 pounds I was carrying around that was unhealthy for me. And I wrote a book called The Dorm Room Diet detailing that journey because I felt like, look, I can't be the, I know I'm not the only one dealing with this. The freshman 15 isn't like a cliche for nothing. And did a lot of book tour for that book and got to chat with a lot of kids my age who were going through exactly the same experience I was and really benefited from the fact that being in that authentic place, I could share really meaningful and personal and useful and effective details that could give them ways to take back their health. And um, then from there, I ended up getting the job at The Chew, which was an awesome crash course in how to do television and also how to cook on TV, how to be like the kid sister on TV when I was always used to being the big sister. But at its root, it was always it was always about the food and it was always about the bonding and the the fun of food and also the importance of the conversations that happen around food. And so the short answer to your question is I feel like food has this potential to be both extraordinarily comforting and a beautifully safe way to have some of the most important conversations we can have in our lives. I love that you say that because I, like you, love food and I will travel far to get it pre-COVID or maybe maybe three months in, Gavin and I were still excited about cooking and preparing every meal. I can't say the same right now, but I know in time <laughs> I, will, I will get there again. So I want to I want to dive into the chew because I know you've mentioned that that people said, oh, you got that job because of your dad. Um, and you really had to sort of pave your own way. And you already had a best selling book out of college. Um, so what was that experience like? And how did you sort of take it into your own hands and make your own path? Yeah, you know, I've reflected a lot on this, because I think having struggled with my weight, having gone through some, you know, I, I was actually a, a relatively shy kid, in some ways, I, as in, I didn't relate to my peers that well. I loved grownups. I was always like, I, I came out like a little 80 year old woman. I loved hanging with my grandparents. I loved hanging with my older, my aunts and uncles who weren't that much older than I was, but they were, you know, grown up at the time that I was little. And so I was always really confident in that way, but I wasn't, it took me a lot to work up feeling confident in my skin when I would have to go on book tour talking to college campuses, you know, like frat boys and and sorority sisters and all around, you know, all around the country talking to people my age about something that was deeply, deeply vulnerable and personal and having to admit like what it, you know, what it took to get myself emotionally prepared to actually make the lasting lifestyle changes I knew would ultimately make me happier, but also ultimately required me to change habits that I was comfortable in. Um, And blessedly through that experience, I learned a really valuable lesson, which is, first of all, I was really helping people. And that is what gave me, even when it was uncomfortable for me, that is what gave me confidence to keep going with it. And what I learned was that I thought being overweight in my family was going to be my cross to bear. And instead, it ended up really being the fire or the, the galvanizing presence that gave me 
an authentic filter to speak from about all the things I ultimately wanted to talk about, which is how to take care of yourself and nourish yourself and prioritize yourself in a really meaningful but pleasurable daily way. So I've thought about this a lot in the context of the two because get this. So I'm I was 24 when I got the job there and I got it. I literally went to an open cattle call of like 400 people, pretty much anyone who'd ever touched food. They had coming in for these auditions for this awesome new concept, this crazy idea of a show that was going to be a daily talk show, just like The View, but around the kitchen table. And we were going to cook and chat and dish on the day. So I went through this cattle call experience, went through a year-long piloting process. There were so many points in time where we thought it was just going to be dead on the table. And um, it it ended up getting greenlit by ABC. And I was 25 when I watched the show. And I really, I mean, I'd only ever done TV as a, uh, you know, for my book tour. I really had no experience. I also was not a trained chef at that point, although I've since gone to culinary school because I really did want to be able, I I was there to be the healthy one. And um, I really wanted to be able to present health food in a glorified way. So I went back to culinary school at the Natural Gourmet Institute. And But at the time that we started, I didn't have even that background. I just was someone who loved to cook and loved to eat and had written this book about health and wellness for a younger set and also had had my own personal journey with how to be healthy in a way that was really manageable. Because I think sometimes people get overwhelmed by this idea that it's a wholesale change to your life. And my take was, little, little, but meaningful changes do go a long way. So you can imagine that I was, it was real trial by fire, especially that first year cooking alongside, you know, iron chefs and veterans of the TV industry. And everyone was at least 20 years, my senior, um, on our panel. So, and this was also at the dawn of social media. So people were just figuring out how they could be keyboard warriors, you know, and sitting in their parents' basement telling me how fat I looked or how stupid I sounded, or how could I be so dumb to think Dijon mustard went with sausage? Didn't I know any better? Hadn't I ever cooked before in my life? I mean, the things that people would like lob criticisms about were hilarious in some regard. But when you're sitting there as a kid, reading them on Facebook, where Facebook had only ever been this like kind of fun, friendly platform before. And now all of a sudden, strangers were judging you for every possible detail of yourself, thinking they knew you. It took a lot for me to realize that like, on the one hand, I could be vulnerable to those ideas and grow from the ones that I thought were important. And then on the other to realize that like, there was no value in putting any stock as in like, you wouldn't take advice from half these people in real life. So why would I take their advice (laughs) through my computer, you know? And one of the sort of consistent points from, you know, some of the nastier trolls was, oh, well, you're only on this show because your dad is Dr. Oz. And I had to get really confident. And only by going through really low points, can you get to this? I found anyway, that's, I mean, I speak obviously entirely just from my own personal experience, but I found that I really needed to get, allow myself to feel the hurt of that and to feel the judgment of that and to feel the upset of that because the oldest child idea comes back where like, of course I want to prove myself. Of course I want to earn my place in the world. And I, you know, I'd been able to do that by working hard and, and I, you know, I was always a good student. I went to the college of my dreams. Like I, I wanted to be able to prove myself. And I felt like I was being judged for something I couldn't control. I am my father's child. I am my mother's child. I'm my grandparents, grandchild. Like I am who I am. So at a certain point, you get a case of what Carla Hall, one of my co-hosts, like so beautifully dubbed the buckets. <laughs> you get really fucking comfortable 
with the fact that not everyone is going to love you. Not everyone's going to give you a chance. Not everyone's going to want you to succeed. And that's totally fucking fine. Like You don't have to make them happy or make them see the world your way. You just have to make sure that the people who do want to learn from you or love you or be excited to spend time with you, that they're getting something really valuable. And again, I went back to that training ground, that stomping ground of the book tour to realize that I could get over my own ego and I could get out of my own way once I realized that I was helping people, that even if it was one person who decided they liked kale after watching a recipe of mine, or they thought maybe quinoa could be a part of their life, or you know what, maybe just an alternative pasta could be something they could try. And here was a recipe they felt would make their life a little bit better that they would actually use. That was worth learning to ignore the couple people who were always going to be detractors. I also got a chance to realize that learning is a great thing. I think as an oldest child and as a you know an a, a type A personality, I always felt like I had to know everything. I felt like I had to be great at everything right when I started out. And life is so much more interesting when you put yourself in positions to learn. And when you're and I'm an endlessly curious person. I I definitely that's like the number one quality I can say I inherited from my dad. And I love learning from people and I love I've now learned to love the growing pains process of trying and trying and trying and trying and eventually succeeding. And I think the more that you lean into that authentic experience and the more you are willing to be able to show from that, like where you might've tripped or where you got hung up or here's something that came really easily. And this is why you think it worked. People love that. They want, they want that. Of course they do. Everyone wants my, my thing is like, how do I help you make your life more beautiful, more delicious, more fun? And I do it by making myself the guinea pig. And ultimately, it makes my life really happy and, and rich and fulfilled. And I am really lucky to get to share that experience with with uh, people on social media and on TV and wherever else they are forced to hear my voice. <laughs> I think you shared so many nuggets of things that I feel like sometimes I approach it as like, oh, I've got to do this for the rest of my life. But you put it in such a way, whether it's making the right choices for healthy food or not listening to the, I love that you said keyboard warriors. It's one thing to say, oh, they're just an asshole in their basement. But then when you go, oh, would I take their advice? Actually, no, I wouldn't. Then why the hell would I take their criticism? It really just makes exactly. it what you just are like, delete, canceled. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> because it's true. Sometimes that gets me down if someone's being mean. And I'm like, wait, who are they? What have they accomplished? Oh, wait. Okay, good. Next. It's not a judgment on them if they don't like me. Sadly, it's a judgment on them if they don't like their own life enough to spend time coming to judge me. <laughs> that's, you know, that's what I ultimately had to start thinking about too, was I, I hope for better for these people. If this last year has taught us anything, it's that a lot of things are out of your control, but how you your leisure time is really powerful and how you, like, I am so grateful for all the times I said yes to weird adventures and random trips and like fun out of the box things I would, I thought I didn't have time to, I thought I was too tired to, I thought I couldn't facilitate it. And I said, yes. And I am so grateful for those, especially, you know, in light of not being able to travel now and not being able to do a lot of the things we normally would, would have taken for granted. And I just, I really feel bad for people who spend their limited leisure time being mean to other people. It seems very strange to me. (laughs) Right. Tell me about it. So flash forward, you're on the chew. You were there for, is it six seasons? Yeah. Yeah. 
I had two babies there. I left when I was pregnant with my third, actually. Okay. So you left on a high. You got to welcome another beautiful – you only produce gorgeous children, I've noticed. <laughs> so what, what made you want to change course and what were you envisioning then as like, okay, this is what I want to do next? I was really excited because date – so the two aired every day at once. So I got to have lunch with America every day for six years, which was – amazing because um you realize how personal that and that I should I didn't I didn't close the arc of the story which was that the first year or two years I really endured a lot of obnoxiousness online and then something happened in year three and I think it was actually my pregnancy I was pregnant with my first uh, with Philomena then and I think I got that serious case of the fuckets and I started just leaning so heavily into like I have other priorities now. Like this is my job and I love it and I'm going to do the best I I possibly can here. But I have other things that give my life a lot of depth and richness and meaning. And they, they are the things that I have to focus a lot of my energy on. And I think because of that, I stopped being, maybe, maybe it was me. Like I stopped being so desperate to please and like not, I wasn't trying so hard to be everything I thought people needed me to be. I was just being me. And in the irony of ironies, like people liked that better. <laughs> you know, it's like if you stop, I think we've, I think we've all, if we sit and think about it, realize that A, it's, you know, obviously a lot easier to just be who you are. B, it's a lot more interesting because we are complex and nuanced total beings and there's more for people to sink their teeth into. And I just was having more fun. So I think that was, that carried me over the edge. So I was, you know, I was really lucky to have spent the, you know, the the remainder of my time at the Chew really realizing what a like a blessing and a gift and and what a privilege it was for people to let you into their home every day to have lunch together and laugh together and learn something and relax. I think it was a really chaotic time in the country. I think people really were eager to have a place they could go that they felt was really safe and comforting viewing. And I felt so grateful to be a part of that. And I felt like people really got to know me and I got to know them um, in that very personal way. And I was also doing a lot with Food Network on the, in primetime. And I was just doing a lot. I felt like I had a lot on my plate. I'd had three kids in four years. I um, or was about to have my third, I should say, in that four-year period. I just felt like it was time for me to stretch my wings a little bit too, because something that had always been the case at the Chew, and I didn't. I didn't mind it. I loved it. Like I loved getting to be the kid's sister. Like I said, I was you know twenty plus years the junior of anyone else on our panel, um, and I was always going to be the the novice and the kid's sister and the one who was there to like be the audience in some ways, ask the questions the audience might have had, but also be like the ball guy, you know, because I was the healthy one and everybody else wanted to eat bacon and and I ate bacon too. I love bacon, but like. I also wanted after we ate the bacon to show you how to make the kale salad and or the, you know, lightened up mac and cheese. Like I, trust me, I, you know, I was as hedonistic as the rest, but I wanted a chance to do that in a way that, that, you know, could, could give me a chance to grow into my own a bit more. I guess this is my philosophy on life. Like I never want to drive anything into the ground. I don't want to be there for the hobbling onto uh, over the finish line moment. I'd rather go out in a big high. And I had some other really cool opportunities in the work. So things made sense for me at that point to free up a little time and to give myself a chance to explore the things that were coming up and to do it in a way that felt like I, I loved my experience. I lived it fully and I was going to be ready for something new. Then MasterChef Junior came along, which was like something I was sort of eager to explore because it's so in my wheelhouse, um, you know, kids and food and 
helping the like a future generation of people who love to cook, whether or not they're actually professional chefs, just people who really feel that incredible experience of being able to provide for yourself in such a in such a natural and comfortable and important way um, deeply and uh, and to do it in a really competitive crazy format with you know Gordon Ramsay and Aaron Sanchez like people who were just mega stars um, I feel so lucky over the course of my time in food I've been able to work with basically like every every huge name in, in food and in food television and it's just it's amazing I constantly learn which I love This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This last year has been incredibly hard on all of us, whether you're an entrepreneur or not. And that is why I am so excited to tell you about my new book, Fearless, The New Rules for Unlocking Creativity, Courage, and Success. I wrote this book because on my journey, there have been so many times where I've been at the fork in the road and I wasn't sure which way to go. And I wrote it so that I could give you the insight I've learned over the last 15 years on how you can navigate these times and any hard times or just life with confidence and create a successful future for yourself. You can pre-order the book now wherever books are sold and then email me the receipt fearless at rebeccaminkoff.com to unlock $25 credit on my site as well as get the first half of the book digitally. So I urge you order the book today and let the fearless journey begin. So I've watched you manage a career, husband, children, and I've never seen you like freaked the fuck out about life or the kids or like I watch you cook a full meal, manage four children, give your husband a kiss. Like how do you do all that with such grace and no no frazzledness? I mean, that is so kind and generous of you to say. And also <laughs> 1000% not accurate. I definitely get frazzled. I am an optimist. I like definitely feel like I have a pretty happy disposition overall, but I am not someone who can avoid worrying. My mom always says, you know, worrying is just a prayer for the worst possible outcome. She says that because she's a worrier and she, and you know, I'm a worrier and we both have this need to repeat that phrase over and over again, because it is, it does nothing good. It just sets you up to dwell in the worst possible outcome, whether or not that actually happens, you've experienced it emotionally. And then what is the benefit of that? And I would say that having, having kids and having a career and having, you know, this wonderful relationship with my husband, that's really foundational and important to me because, um, I feel so lucky to have grown up seeing, my grandparents' relationship and my parents' relationship, but you know, both of them had lots of kids and both of them made sure that those kids were extremely loved and nurtured and nourished, but that they also saw that the, the foundation of the family was in the, in the marriage and that it was this strength and stability point to draw from. And I think 
one of the fallacies of marriage is sometimes that like, if it's not perfect all the time, or it's not easy all the time, something must be wrong. You know, I feel very lucky to have been able to see the careers and the support and the conversation and the fighting and the, all of the good and the bad that goes into feeding this very robust and rich connection and support for each other. And then support for the family that marriages can provide. And that is so much where I've tried to, and John and my husband is like, really on the same page that we're very tuned into each other. We know how to ask for what we need. We know how to, you know, a- approach each other when, when we need something or when we're, when we see that they need something, but also to like, we each have our, have our, you know, our careers and our own things that we're doing too. And those fill us up. And I think one of the fallacies is that like, in addition to that, it should always be easy, which it's never going to be. I don't care how great your marriage is. That's just never the case with two complete humans being together is that you are supposed to complete each other. And I think that was something that I have figured out that like, I am happiest when I'm taking good care of me and when I'm complete and fulfilled on my own. And I'm heading into the relationship with something to give rather than something to take. And I think that obviously marriages are, are give and takes, and there are always going to be periods where you need more than you're able to give. And that's in healthy marriages, like, or healthy partnerships, period. That's you signed up for that. That's, that's what they're there for. <laughs> but, um, but I would say with kids in specific and with managing, like, you know, all the worry and the fear and the question marks that go into parenting, I, I feel like my husband is my unpaid therapist. He really has like seen me through moments where I've, really, you know, questioned whether I could do the things I was trying to do and whether I was doing them well. And certainly with my first, I, you know, people talk about mom guilt a lot. And I really was deeply in the, in the throes of that because I would be at the studio from six to two, I would race home at two in the afternoon and nurse her. And then it was like, then after from like two to two forty five, and then at two at two forty five immediately, I would, I was blissed out from two to two forty five, And then at two forty five, I would be stressed out thinking, you know, I didn't do the field shoot I was supposed to do today because I wanted to be here to nurse her or I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't go to the after after shoot meeting because I was supposed to be home. And and like, am I missing career opportunities because of my family commitments? And I'm, I'm at work. Am I missing like critical, beautiful family bonding time that I want and crave desperately because I'm focusing on my job? And I was just constantly miserable. And I think um, what I realized after my second was that there are only 24 hours in the day. There's only one of you. You can only be so many places at once and thinking and trying to do so many things at once. And if you just steal your own joy constantly, you are not doing anyone any favors. So I have worked really hard to get rid of the mom guilt and to realize that if I've chosen to do something, it's because at some level it's making me happy and I can lean into that and feel confident in that and know that I will come back to whether it's the job or the marriage or the motherhood more complete and more filled up and with more to give by allowing myself those moments to, to make the choices that I've made and to fill myself up. I think if anything, that's what helps me be a little more even keel. You know, they're going to be good days. They're going to be bad days. They don't mean everything, right? Like it's not like I say, I say all the time, there are days where I'm an A mother, a B wife, a C friend, a D employee. And then the next day they could wrap, they could completely recalibrate and be entirely reversed. And that's okay. I think that if anything, I think that's actually like when people talk about quote unquote, having it all, I actually think what, and you said this when you came on mom brain, that's a fallacy. It's not that you, you can't have it all, all at once. You can either juggle and struggle, or you can be fully present in each of the things that you're doing in that moment, do them well, 
derive a lot of value and fulfillment from them and then move on to the next thing and have more to give and more to offer that I think ultimately yields to much better results. And then the last thing I will say is that I have a babysitter. Like people always are like, do you have help around the house? Like who's helping you do the, who took that picture? And it's like, yes, I have a babysitter. (laughs) It's not that revolutionary. It is. She is my wife. Like I, I rely so much on her and I am so grateful to have her. And I, I hope that mothers know that like anytime you think other mothers just have it all figured out and how could they possibly do all this? And like, why can't I figure out how to do this? Like no one is superhuman. We are all dealing with the same chaos and the same craziness and the same dinner time wildness and bedtime, like insanity. Just know that like you are not doing it wrong. Everything is, everything is exactly the same. (laughs) I'm happy you admit that. And I talk about that a lot and I feel like for whatever reason, there's been a sense of shame since COVID started if someone did continue to have help. I don't know if you felt this way, but... Oh, I didn't feel that way probably only because I cho- I like I could... I There was no way I could do it by myself. Like there, I just... Agreed. There, it's just not happening. <laughs> totally. I work full time. I feel like I'm working full time. Like it's... There's a lot. And I, there's a lot of... You know what I feel like? I'm very lucky to have a babysitter who feels like a part of my family, if I had, some people are able to have like a mother and aunt, sisters, whatever, who are around. And like, that's incredible. That's not the setup that I have. Not only do we not live in the same States, but like my mom and my sisters have their own lives going on. It's not their job to come and be my child, you know, caretaker. And I'm so lucky to have found like a sister, a wife, like someone who feels as committed to my kids' happiness and committed to their growth. And, and like, they're just showered with that much more love, which I think is a great thing. I agree with you, but I felt like if someone was complaining about how hard it is and like, how do you do it all? And I would say, well, I have my nanny. There would be almost like this look or judgment. And I'm like, yeah. how the fuck were we supposed to do this? It's not yeah. like we're single yeah. moms, you know, like I'm also homeschooling my kids while she's doing the laundry and cooking and cleaning or, or helping with that stuff so that I can homeschool and well, work. You know what I thought about a lot, actually, and that's why I, I really, I mean, I try to present a very real version of my existence, but I also really have conscientiously tried never to seem like I'm complaining because I do. I do feel so you know, supported and lucky to be able to share some of the more like challenging tasks and, and to be able to divvy it up so that, you know, the kids are getting the attention and the kids are getting the support that they need at different points. There's just four of them. So there are four different directions all the time. So, but I totally hear what you're saying. And I have definitely felt that too, that like, on the one hand, people are like, oh, this is so cool. How are you doing it all? And then you'd give them the honest answer and there's a letdown, right? Like, oh, I thought you were a superhuman. And, um, and, and I, and I think, I think it's, it's tricky. Like I, people definitely thought that I brought my kids to the studio with me at the two. And I had done room tours of my dressing room, which I shit you not was like four by six. Like if I brought two toddlers and asked them to sit in the closet of a dressing room that I had for six to eight hours while I was shooting, like there would be no building left to shoot in. Um, Definitely no building. And that wouldn't have been better for my kids. I don't think either. Like, I don't think there was, I don't think I robbed them of something by getting the help I needed to support the job I was doing. I guess it's also like, I've been thinking, I thought about this a lot because, you know, there are, of course, like, you know, days where I'm on my own and 
those are the days that I am the most exhausted <laughs> and the most like frazzled and tired because you don't have like you forget women and families like used to live in communities where yes, you were with your kids all the time, but you were also with other adults all the time. And you could like share, we, we always joke, Becky, you and me and Eden and, and Tali and everybody like that. How fun would it be to get to raise our kids together because you would just have the support and the community and the, and the camaraderie of that experience right now it is more isolating. And certainly now, now it's more isolating and it's more on everything on your own. And I think that's, it, it can be a very, tiring and a very lonely experience as much as it can be an extraordinary bonding and loving time with you and your family too. And I, I give all credit and hats off to mothers that do it on their own. And there's so many of them and especially single mothers. And, and, you know, there's just, we bear the weight of the world on our shoulders. I, I, over Christmas, I saw this meme going around that was so accurate, which is like, as a parent, I realized that the magic of the holidays was just a parent that really loved me. And it's so true. It's like, you know, you go to, you go to such lengths to make these days magical for your kids. And like you wear the weight of their emotional toll and, and how special and great their lives are on yourself. And you're only one human doing, you know, doing everything that you're doing. I think having a great, whatever that support's going to look like friendship, a, a FaceTime crew, someone to have a glass of wine, with at the end of the night, like whoever that person is, that's going to make you feel filled up again. I, I just would lean heavily into it because I, I do think that we, not only do we think we should be able to do it all. We also imagine and assume people who people around us are doing it better than we are. And that is just such a like toxic negative cycle to be in when the reality doesn't always look like that. I wish I could keep talking to you. I could keep talking to you for probably another two hours and then this would be my longest podcast. (laughs) I use so many incredible insights to give and I think it's so important for women to hear this, especially right now when we're all a little like, when will this end, please? Okay, so before we wrap, two questions I'd love to ask all my guests. What is something we would be surprised to know about you? Well, the first was that I'm a worrier because I, I think I tried, I've worked so hard to try to like mitigate some of that worrying tendency. And the second is that even in spite of that worrying, you know, I really love being entrepreneurial. I really love getting to be a part of the small businesses that we invest in and that I represent for. Um, I really love being able to learn from those growth processes because they're never linear. They're always there's always like hiccups and things you didn't predict for and changes that need to be made and and also learning uh you know how to take good feedback and run with it and and meet, you know, customers where they are and what they need. You know, you know I am a co-owner of this new uh clean beauty brand, Loom Beauty. And the idea really there was like I'm a I'm a really busy mom and I love, you know, I love to put my best face forward every day. And let me take great care of my skin so I don't have to work as hard to put my best face forward every day. And it's clean and it's vegan and it's cruelty-free. And the idea is really to like approach moms and women just like me with skincare that makes it really straightforward and simple to take good care of yourself. And that's something that like I get to harness my own life to do. I get to harness my um, you know, my own struggles to inform how we, how we package and how we talk about products and how we develop products that are really going to like 
you know, get rid of, for me, like under eye bags and sagging skin and dull, tired looking skin, like fix that and then get to bring products to market that help to do that is really, really exciting and cool. So learning how to juggle, wanting to be good at everything and needing to not worry with being in an experience like entrepreneurhood that is so unpredictable. And I look, I am constantly overwhelmed and impressed by you with, with, not just the juggling that you do, but the weight that you carry on your shoulders of like a brand that has your name on it, that you built from scratch, that you grow and you continue to evolve and make it incredible every single year after year after year. Like that longevity is just beyond. And I learned from friends like you to how to, how to hopefully do it with a bit more grace than I would come to it naturally with. (laughs) That is very sweet. It's messy over here. Let me just say that. (laughs) Okay. Last but not least, And you've given so much advice, but any advice you want to share the last words either that you've learned or you've been given that have made a big difference in your life? Um, So the, the answer that I sometimes give to this, and it has taken on new meaning right now, is three girls and a boy in my family. And so he, my dad had three daughters and then he got his son, but... For the three daughters, he he always tried to use sports to relate to us. And it's so funny because it was just like such a place where he learned so much about life and he wanted to share those things with us. And he would always say, you can't catch the ball if you're not standing on the field. And I always took that to mean you have to stay prepared and limber and you know at the ready with the best possible skill sets and the best possible information so that you can even be considered for the opportunity you're hoping for, right? Like the whole, you know, dress for the job you want kind of situation where it's all still a gamble. It's all still a crapshoot in some ways. And you have to get lucky too, but you're not going to even be in the running to get lucky if you're not staying prepared. And now in light of all of us feeling like our lives have been put on hold in some way for the last year, I think the first couple of months, we all were like kind of happy and okay to be you know, making banana bread and hanging out in our sweatpants all day long. And now I've really turned the corner and I'm feeling like, what am I doing to keep myself super prepared to run at life now? And also, you know, when we are on the other side of this experience and that's sort of where I am. You can't catch the ball if you're not standing in the field, keep yourself ready and prepared and flexible and keep investing in yourself. Keep doing things that make you feel, find little things that make you feel filled up, relaxed, and like you had fun every single day. And it can be, I mean, I, I start every morning now because we've really lost all the marbles um, with like a crazy dance party with the kids every single morning. And that is one fun thing I do every single day. And it, ca- it actually, as ridiculous as it sounds, it changes the entire rest of the day from there. I love that and I love you and I'm so grateful that we were able to get this set up because I think everything you've said is so valuable and going to be so helpful for the super women listeners. So thank you. So where can people follow you, support you, give them all the details and then I'll let you go. Oh, thank you so much. Um, Well, I am on Instagram at Daphne Oz and Facebook and Twitter. My podcast, Mom Brain, you can come listen to us over there. And yeah, stay tuned for MasterChef Junior. It's going to premiere on Fox later this year. And um, I love you so much. And thank you for having me on today. Oh, and check out Loom Beauty. Thank you, honey. (laughs) Bye, honey.
Thanks for listening, everybody. And don't forget to head over to RebeccaMinkoff.com. Show your love and support for the brand. Buy something for yourself. Buy something for another. And also don't forget to try my new fragrance. Again, it is available at all Nordstrom, Macy's, Scentbirds, and Birch Boxes, as well as our site. 